Good morning, everyone. Good morning to you online. Good morning to you in the building. I'm going to do my best to try and get through this without my coat on. Uh, I can see, you know, we're all huddled up in our coats in here. I think my water actually might have some ice in it by the time we get through this. If you're uh, snuggled up at home or on the sofa or in bed, you know, pray for me because it's cold in here. But Happy New Year to you. I hope you've had a good uh, Christmas period of time that you found peace and joy. Uh, I know for many of us it's been a refreshing time, for others of us it's been a painful time being separated from those that we love, and uh, maybe for others of us it's been a mixture. Uh, I don't know how you felt about saying goodbye to 2020 on Thursday evening. Uh, I think I have to say this feels like sort of one of the least like a new year periods of time that I've ever experienced. It just feels like last year. <laughs> um, but I know that there were lots of people who were thrilled to, to wave goodbye to 2020 for very good reasons. Uh, not only was it the year of a global pandemic, you don't mean need me to remind you, but according to the news headlines, uh, it was a year that also saw the biggest hurricane season and the biggest wildfire season in the States. It was uh, a year that saw in May the biggest uh, cyclone ever uh, in India. It was the year that saw the most costliest hailstorm in Canada, the worst bushfire season ever in Australia that went from the end of 2019 into the beginning of last year, 2020 and the year of horrific locust attacks in Eastern Africa. I don't know if you saw that in the news. It didn't seem to kind of make the headlines in the way that it might have done if there weren't other global things going on. But the BBC described it as the biblical locust plagues of 2020. I found this picture on the internet. It's pretty, pretty, I don't know, shocking, isn't it? All those locusts, huge things. And of course, there will have been good things that happened um, across the world and in, your, in our, you know, your local experience in 2020. We as a family have, have found lots to be thankful for. But we have turned a page, haven't we, on a challenging year. There is no doubt about that. We have waved goodbye to a challenging year that has also presented you know, hugely uh, challenging political upheavals and economic uncertainty across the world as well. And I'm sure that we are all hoping for better things in 2021. I know I am. I don't know what your expectations, as, as Tim said, that, that's uh, Andrew's word for the year, expectancy. I don't know what your expectations or your hopes and your dreams and your longings are for this year, or whether you haven't got as far as thinking about those and you're just still wondering, are you going to do dry January? Or, you know, are you going to, how far are you going to make it with your New Year's resolutions? But either way, I'm pretty sure that most of us are help, hopeful that uh, the vaccine is going to kick in at some point and uh, enable us to, to get back to some kind of normality and that lockdown might become uh, a year, uh, a word from the past. But friends, the reality is we don't know what this year is going to hold, do we? I don't know if you can remember back to the beginning of 2020, but here we were across the world celebrating a new decade. Across the world, we were talking about 2020 vision. We were excited about the beginning of the 20s. And uh, if nothing else, this last year has shown us, hasn't it, that we can't control the future, let alone predict it. So we're starting a series, a new series next week as a church family, looking at and working through the book of Exodus, which will be exciting. But I was asking God, Lord, give us a word, speak to us, give me a message, give me a passage for this first Sunday of the year uh, that will set us up and help us to prepare 
for 2021. And I felt him lead me to the parable of the 10 virgins. So if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew 25, which is where we'll find the story. But here's a little bit of context about uh, the time in which Jesus is speaking as, um, as he tells it. And he was... This parable is set in a kind of um, conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples uh, just before he went to his death. It probably happened on about the Tuesday or the Wednesday of Holy Week, and he died. He was crucified on the Friday. So he was talking to them about really important things. Last year, well, actually 2019, we went as a family to France, uh, but Tim and I set off a few days early. We left the boys at home, and they flew out to meet us uh, a few few days later. And the stuff that I kind of said to them just before we were about to leave was the stuff that I considered to be really important that I really wanted them to pay attention to and I didn't want them to forget. Things like, if you want to stay alive, the food is in the freezer. You know, things like, when you leave the house to, to fly over to France, please make sure all the doors are locked. Please make sure all the appliances Uh, the electrical appliances are turned off. You know, please don't make sure, you know, you forget your passports. Do you know where they are? Things like that. And the stuff that Jesus told his disciples before he died was the really important stuff that he wanted them to remember once he'd gone. And in this passage, uh, in these two chapters of Matthew uh, 24 and 25, this passage that we're going to read is in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking to them and warning them and teaching them about what will happen, what life will be like once he's gone, what life will be like in the last days. Okay, Matthew 24 and 25 are Jesus speaking about the last days. And he was wanting his disciples to know about the last days and to know how to live in the last days. And I hope this isn't news to you, friends, this morning, but we are living in the last days. You know, I, I think there's, there's probably a lot we could talk about as a church about the last days. I don't know how much we know and talk and think about the last days, but we are living in the last days. 1 Peter 4 verse 7, Peter says this, the end of all things is near. That's what Peter says, the end of all things is near. And if you want to read a bit more about the kind of things that Jesus said would happen in the last days, have a look at uh, Matthew 24 at some point this week, read that chapter, and also have a look at uh, Timothy chapter 3. But Jesus highlights some things in particular that he wants his followers to be aware about that are signs that we are living in the last, last days. And so before he tells this story in chapter 25, in chapter 24, he says things like this. He says, watch out because there'll be an increase in wars and natural disasters. You know, David Attenborough, great man. Apparently, he's got a new series coming out this evening. What a fantastic man. He says, you know, that creation is in turmoil because of the mess we've made of it. There is truth in that. And there are some things we need to do as good stewards of God's creation. But Jesus has a higher narrative. And he says that the stuff that's going on in creation is because we're living in the last days. Jesus says there'll be worldwide persecution of Christians. Open Doors, uh, their report for the end of 2020 said this, that there's been a 500% increase in attacks on churches across the world in 2020. And that they assess in their world uh, watch list that in 2020, there was an increase in the number of Christians persecuted worldwide. 260 million, they say, up from 245 million in 2019. 
Jesus also says that many believers will turn away from God. Really sobering stuff. And yes, we can say, well, maybe that's because the churches aren't doing a very good job. And maybe there will be some truth in that. But again, Jesus has got a higher narrative. He says it's what's going to happen in the last days. He says there'll be false prophets, hollow and deceptive philosophies that unbelievably will have the potential to deceive us if we're not careful. And he says that the love of most will grow cold. I find that so challenging. It's one of the things that I, I really, you know, I, I wrestle with. Lord, I don't want my love to grow cold. And he describes these things in, in, in Matthew 24, and we're coming to Matthew 25. He describes these things as birth pains. You know, Matthew 24, verse 7, Jesus says, these are birth pains. Now, I'm going to be honest and say I'd love it if he'd then gone on to say, but hey, guys, I've got an epidural for you. I've got an epidural or I've got a C-section option for you that will mean that you don't have to experience these birth pains. But sadly, he doesn't. We know that. He says the creation, the world, and his followers in particular, that's us. We are going to experience challenging, challenges and difficulties in increasing measure as his return draws near. And he wants his disciples to know about this. Because when, we, when, we're, when we're forewarned, we're, we're, we're armed and prepared, aren't we? Now, I've given, for those of you that don't know me, I've given birth four times. I'm not going to uh, regale you with my stories, uh, but I have four uh, amazing children. Uh, their entry into the world wasn't straightforward or easy, and I can tell you that birth pains are no fun. They get worse, and they get closer together as the baby gets nearer to its arrival into the world. But the reason they get worse, and the reason they get more painful, is because the birth is imminent. And Jesus is describing these birth pains that the world has got to go through that will get worse, but only because his birth, his return to earth is imminent. No birth pains, no baby. And of course, the birth that Jesus is referring to in this passage is his coming back, his coming back to earth. I hope you believe that Jesus is coming back to earth. I hope you believe that he is going to return to earth physically. Not as he came uh, at Christmas time that we've just celebrated as a baby, uh, that many people didn't recognize that he was God, but he's going to come in triumphant power and the whole world will know and see that he is Lord. The Bible says that every tongue will confess him as Lord when he comes again. You know, it's going to be a great day and it's going to be a dreadful day in many ways. And, and people aren't going to confess him as their Lord, but that he is Lord because we will see him in all his glory. He, and he will come when he comes again to judge the world, to call time on the world, to blow the whistle on the world so that he can finally usher in his kingdom. I don't know how you feel about the prospect of that day. But, you know, in Revelation, we're told to pray for it, to say, come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come, because we want to see his kingdom, don't we, come in all its fullness. And, of course, I said earlier, Peter said this time is near. Now, we all know that God's timing isn't the same as our timing. When I say something's going to happen soon, I literally mean it, it's probably going to happen today or tomorrow. When God says something's going to happen soon, you know, his timing is different to my timing. You know, I wish his timing was a bit more accurate to, to my... Well, in line with my timing, because I get, 
into trouble when, you know, I think God said something is going to happen and then it doesn't happen quite when I think it's going to happen. And Peter says that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And I worked out that that means, you know, if God says something's going to happen uh, in, in 10 minutes, it might mean that it's going to happen in, in seven years. But Jesus describes the last days as being the time between his going back to heaven, his resurrection, and the time that he returns. And, you know, Peter said that time is near. We're 2,000 years further on into the future than, than Peter lived. So whenever the date of his return, and we're told that we won't know when that, be, when that will be, we are an awful lot nearer to his return than Peter was 2,000 years ago when he said, it's going to happen soon. I hope you believe that. So Jesus is speaking into this context, wanting his disciples to be aware that they are living, that we are living in the last days, that we are living with birth pains that are going to become more frequent and more intense. And he wants us to be prepared for how to live through them. And so let's read the passage, Matthew 25, uh, the first 13 verses. And this is Jesus kind of describing what I've been talking about in a kind of parable, in a story way. So he said this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Let's hope we're like the wise virgins. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and they prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because we don't have enough. Our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But that, while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside, calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too, he's saying to his disciples, he's saying to us, must keep watch. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. Now this parable actually sits within, uh, in between, sandwiched between two other parables, and each of them describes an element of the sort of the last days, as it were. The first one, which you'll find at the end of uh, Matthew 24, that parable that you can read at you know, some other point, Jesus is basically telling a story to illustrate the fact that the wait for his return, that his followers were going to have to endure, was shorter than they were expecting, that his return was going to happen more quickly and more suddenly than they were prepared for. This parable sits in the middle, and Jesus is essentially describing a wait for his return that is longer than we are expecting or might think we were going to have to, to endure. And then the last parable, which comes after this one, uh, describes a wait for his return that is harder than his followers than we might expect. But this is the one we're sticking with this morning because this is the passage that I felt God wanted us to look at. Here are a few things about the ten virgins in this story. Firstly, they all expect the bridegroom to come back. They're all anticipating his return and they're all looking forward to his return, which means they're believers. 
their followers, their believers. They know Jesus and uh, they, they're waiting for his return. So they're, they're, they're members of the family. They are members of the church. Secondly, they all had to wait for his return. So like us, like I've been saying, they represent believers in living in the last days, sandwiched between, as it were, his first coming and his second coming. And notice that his return was in the middle of the night. And the night in the Bible is symbolic for challenging times. You know, Jesus is coming back in the middle of the night. The night represents adversity. So the politicians and the campaigners and uh, the celebrities can tell us all kinds of things and encourage us in all kinds of ways that we can make the world a better place. But do you know what, friends? We can't without Jesus. We cannot make the world a better place without Jesus, much as we want to, because Jesus is telling us here there are going to be birth pains, and they're going to get worse until he comes back to call time on the world. So yes, we need to serve his purposes in our world. Yes, we need to love and serve others. Yes, we need to be obedient to what he calls us to do. But Jesus will come back in the middle of the night. And they all have to wait for him. Thirdly, they all had lamps and they all had oil. And fourthly, as the evening wore on, they all fall asleep. And, you know, I find this little bit about it really reassuring because there comes a point in all of our lives, all of our journeys with him, where we're weary. We get weary and we get tired. And maybe we feel like we run out of a bit of steam. Um, Maybe it's due to challenging times. Maybe it's due to a crisis that hits. You know, maybe it's due to another set of circumstances. But there came a point where they all fell asleep. But that wasn't the point of the story. They all woke up again. They all woke up again. And they heard that Jesus was on his way. And so they began to tend to their lamps again. Now, you probably know that parables are stories that highlight, in particular, one main principle. And the main thing about this story that Jesus is drawing attention to is the quantity of oil that these virgins had. The story that Jesus is telling here is all about how much oil we have and whether it will last us. This story is about the quantity of oil that we have in our lamps as believers and followers of Jesus. The one thing that separates these wise women from the foolish ones is the fact that they had extra oil in their jars. They all had lamp oil in their lamps, but the wise women had extra oil in jars to keep their lamps burning until he arrived. And there were various kind of interpretations and discussions uh, amongst various commentators about what the oil represents. But I believe that the oil represents, I agree with the commentators that suggest that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, oil was a symbol for the Holy Spirit. The disciples would have recognized that as they heard Jesus telling this story. And I believe that the oil that Jesus is talking about, that the virgins had, the extra oil, represents our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the extent of our personal connection our closeness, our intimacy with Jesus. And it's in the darkness that we discover how effective
effective that relationship is. It's in the darkness that we discover what kind of quality of relationship with the Holy Spirit we have. It's in the difficulty that we discover whether our resources and our connection with him is going to fuel us to keep us going or whether it's going to run dry. Whether it's the kind of relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit that is going to bring us light and life or whether actually it doesn't. Two things about oil in this parable. Firstly, oil is a fuel. Okay, I think Jesus, you know, chose oil deliberately. And oil is a fuel. Oil is an energy source. Oil is a power that keeps a lamp going. And our relationship with God, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is... Um, is an energy source, isn't it? It's designed to be an energy source, the source of our power and our strength, you know, the source of our love and connection with him that keeps us going. And I think Jesus is reminding us that we need oil to go the distance in life and to do life with him in the way that he's called us to. We need this oil of the Holy Spirit to enable us to face and to go into 2021, don't we? Confident, expectant, you know, urgent in one sense with our witness to him, full of purpose and yet full of patience. We need oil, especially when it gets dark. And the oil comes from the kind of relationship we have with him. Have we learned to receive and trust and walk in his love? Have we learned how to recognize his voice, to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, the whisper of the Holy Spirit, so that we can obey that still, small voice? Have we learned how to rely on the Holy Spirit's promptings and to depend on the Holy Spirit's strength, not our own? Have we learned how to let him have his way in us rather than having our own way? The second thing about this oil in this parable is that Jesus says it's costly. It's costly oil. The wise virgins, they tell the other virgins to go and buy some. It has to be bought. Now, I know you could say, well, the Holy Spirit's a gift. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a gift when Jesus sends him to live in us when we become followers of his and we choose to open up our hearts to him. But actually, it's then up to us how much we invest in our relationship with the Holy Spirit how much we invest in that relationship and what we do with it. And it costs these wise virgins, it costs them to buy oil. You know, unfortunately, they couldn't, you know, take out their phones, as it were, and organize a bank transfer of Holy Spirit resources into the lives of the foolish virgins just because the foolish virgins suddenly didn't have enough oil. And you know, friends, we can, let's remind ourselves we can be inspired by other people's relationship with Jesus. We can be inspired by the way that they walk in the Spirit, but we can't borrow their experiences or their connection with God. We have to have our own oil. How do we buy oil? You know, how do we buy oil? We buy oil by spending time in God's presence, spending time praying, spending time reading the Bible, spending time reading other Christian books of the saints that have gone before us and the wisdom that God's given them, spending time waiting on God, learning how to hear his voice, spending time investing in our committed Christian relationships, who, those people that will challenge and inspire us and help us to buy oil too. Have you noticed this is a strange sort of dynamic, isn't there? Have you noticed how you never need to put, I never need to put time in my diary 
to make sure that I watch Netflix. I never have to sort of schedule in time to kind of surf the net or scroll on social media. I just manage to make time for it. And I never have to work really hard when I am watching Netflix or when I am on the internet. I never have to work really hard to get rid of all the distractions that want to try and kind of interfere with my concentration. Buying oil is costly. Investing in our relationship with Jesus so that it's living and vibrant and provides us with that source, that fire, that, that, that source of fuel for life is costly. It's hard work. You know, I know I'm not telling you anything new, but we need to be reminded about the fact that the enemy and the flesh want to keep us away because that source of oil is so valuable. Whether it's distractions or a busy schedule or a lethargic attitude or outright lies that spending time in God's presence, investing in my relationship with the Holy Spirit isn't going to make any difference to my life. You know, that's one of the reasons we don't do it. Well, we get put off so easily because we think it won't really make that much difference. But Jesus is highlighting the danger. This parable is about the danger of not having enough oil. Because when we really need it, at that point, it's too late. So as we set out on our voyage into 2021, I really believe that God wants to say to us in the Trinity family this morning, mind your oil. Invest in oil in 2021. Pay attention to your oil. Do you have extra oil? Make sure you have enough. You know, whatever 2020-21 holds, whether it's a great year or whether it's a challenging year or probably whether it's a mixture, 2021 is a year for buying more oil. So I want to finish by encouraging each one of us, if you haven't already done this for 2021, to find a half an hour slot in your week this week. This, you know, tier four lockdown has provided us, hasn't it, with the opportunity. You know, we've probably got a bit more time because we've got less pressures, less demands, less things we can go to. To find a half hour slot this week to set aside some time to think about how you can buy more oil this year. You might want to, you know, find a quiet place. You might want to make sure that, you know, you're not going to have any other commitments demanding on your time when you do it. You might want to make sure that you've got a really nice, you know, something to eat and something to drink while you do it. And I want to encourage you to think about in that half an hour, this question, what do I need to do to make sure that I have more oil at the end of 2021 than I have now? What do I need to do to make sure that I have more oil at the end of 2021 than I do now? Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for two minutes or two months or two years or 20 years. You know, the, the picture in this, in this uh, story is of lamps burning. They're using the oil. We use oil. You know, we draw on our relationship with God every day. We need to be replenishing the oil and we need extra oil. What can we do to make sure that we have more oil at the end of 2021? I might rephrase that. What do I need to do? What do you need to do to make sure that at the end of this year you will be closer to Jesus, that you will have more fire in your heart for him, that you will be more connected to him than you are now? 
So you might want to break that down by reflecting on a few different areas. You might want to ask yourself, Lord, what will help me uh, read the Bible more consistently this year? What do I need to do to help me read the Bible more consistently this year? You might want to ask yourself, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm praying in a focused way this year? You might want to ask yourself, what do I need to do to learn how to hear the voice of God more clearly? What do I need to do to help me recognize his voice more clearly? You might want to ask yourself, what do I need to do to stir up my affection for him more? And I want to encourage you, as you ask yourself those questions, to think about four different areas. Your resources, your relationships, your routines, and a rubbish bin. You know, what resources might help you? We have a, a, a resource section on our website, Walking with God, full of brilliant resources. There are devotionals out there. There are Christian books out there. You know, you've got people around you that can direct you to things that will help you with your Bible routine. Do you need, you know, what are the, what are the things that might help you read it more consistently? Pick one thing that you can press into this year that will help you buy more oil. Look at, the look at resources. What resources will help you? What resource do you need to help you? What relationships do you need in your life? Or do you need to go after? Or do you need to pay more attention to? Because those people will help you buy more oil. What routines do you need to change in your life to make sure that you can prioritize buy buying you know, oil? And what needs to go in the rubbish bin? What attitudes or what mindsets or what practices or, you know, what things, what distractions need to actually be deleted from your life this year so that you can prioritize buying oil? Friends, God wants us to be a group of wise virgins who have got extra oil. Oil for our lamps so that we're bringing light to the world, whatever it is that we're going through, let alone knowing his light in our own lives. But oil is costly. So let's take time this week. Let's take time this week to review, you know, our purchase of oil, our relationship, our connection, our closeness with Jesus, and be very intentional and deliberate about thinking how this year, 2021, we can increase our resources of oil, our extra oil, so that we're prepared and ready for all that he has for us.